to see you this morning. If you're a first-time guest here and we have not met, my name is David and I serve as a senior pastor here and thanks for giving me the chance uh, to share with you. If you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, you can pull out the blue uh, Bible in the seat pocket in front of you. Uh, you can find Matthew chapter 28 on page 1554 in that blue Bible. And if you are here today and you don't have a Bible, uh, please stop by the connecting point. We would love to give you one of those uh, as our gift to you as you begin your journey uh, with the Scriptures. Uh, I want to point out this card one more time. If you'll pull this out, I want to invite you to write something down on this card that has the names of these kids that we're going to have the chance uh, to meet and connect with uh, this week. Uh, I I meant to add this to the card and I didn't get it in time. If you will just write down Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 19, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19, just jot that down in the margin there. And what that is, uh, when you find it, it's a prayer uh, in in the Scriptures. We actually prayed that a few weeks ago uh, for some people in our life, and it is a way for you to pray for these names that are on this card. Uh, And I want to just encourage you to maybe think about doing that as your gift uh, to these kids, to to go through wherever you find in that Scripture the word you or your, just replace it with one of these kids' names. Uh, and pray for them uh, as we go to meet with them and to share with them. Uh, I've had the privilege uh, to know Kathy, whose story you just heard, uh, for for many, many years. Uh, Kathy is one of those individuals in our church, and we have many like this, that uh, as her pastor, I'm just trying to keep up with Kathy. I mean, she's just a go-getter, whatever it is uh, that we are doing in mission. Kathy's there, and she's, she's working harder than any of us. I mean, she just has a great, great passion. We had to, had the chance to go to Rwanda together as a part of the team uh, that went. And, uh, and so I can testify to you that hers is a life, hers is a heart uh, that has been transformed. And her story that you just heard, if you were here last week, the first week of this series, the story you heard from Kyle, a, a young man whose life has been changed, what I want you to hear is that's the passion of my life. The passion of my life is hearing stories like that, of seeing those, those stories realized, those promises that God has for people's lives, seeing those come true. And it's the passion of our life together as a family of faith is, is, is life change, life change, transformation. And so out of that, last week I shared with you two convictions. These are my personal convictions, but ones that I hope would be kind of a guiding uh, force for us as we move through this series. Now, the first idea is this, that no organization should be more committed to excellence in their work and effectiveness in achieving their mission than the church. No organization should outpace the church in our commitment to excellence and our commitment to effectiveness, which means that one of our goals, one of our desires, one of the commitments that we have as a church is to ensure that every dollar that you give Every hour, every minute that you sacrifice of your time, any investment of your talent into the ministry that we share, our hope and goal for that is that that would go as far as it possibly can to not only impact people's lives, but to change the world. If you're brand new, you probably don't know much about this, this ministry called Zoe that, that you heard a little bit about and these kids that we're going to connect with. We've been a part of Zoe for over a decade. And what Zoe does is over the course of three years, they train uh, young, vulnerable children. They form them into a community. And after three years, they are set free 
So we, over the course of, de- of a decade, have been working with kids in Africa. We've been working with kids in Rwanda. This is the first time we've been to Guatemala. We have a team that's going to India in February. But, but here's what's amazing. We're going to go back to Rwanda in 2018. And the kids that we were supporting when we were there in 2015, they're not getting any more money from us. They don't need it. Because what Zoe does isn't a relief ministry, it doesn't create dependency, it's a ministry that sets children's lives and dreams free, forms in a a community where they are safe, gives them a trade so that they can take care of themselves, teaches them how to care for their bodies, proper hygiene, how to take care of the, the water that they take in. And after that, that they are set free to share that in the communities in which they live. And so, and so a dollar that you give to Zoe, here's what's incredible. It keeps going and going and going in, in the dreams that are set free in the lives of those kids, but the way in which they become leaders in their community. They're in Rwanda. It's incredible. And that's what we hope for everything that we do together in, in, in the life of our church is that, is that our sacrifice together, because that's, that's what runs this place. That it goes to, it reaches its maximum potential to set, uh, to set lives free, to change lives, to build the kingdom. And, here, and here's why this is so important. And here's why we as an organization should be more committed to this than any other organization in the world. Because the product of the church is God's answer to a broken world. What we do together, the work that we do together, the product that we seek to deliver as a family of faith is God's answer to a broken world. And I just want you to think clearly today about what that means. That means that when an orphan cries out to God from a life of suffering and pain, God answers that prayer by sending people like Kathy. God answers that prayer and responds to that need by taking those who have been formed in shape as disciples of Jesus and saying, go and do for them what I have done for you. That's what we do. We are, in the way in which we are living our lives, we are not only working to create this, to produce this, but we are also the product. We are the ones who God calls to to respond to the needs of a broken world, which means that the work that we do together, this is eternal work. This isn't work that passes away one day. This isn't a kingdom that's one day going to just fall apart. This is is life change, a new trajectory of hope and peace and joy for our life and for others. It's an investment in the eternal kingdom that God is bringing into existence to the people who are working in the context of the church, what we do is the most important work that we will ever have the chance to do. So we said last week uh, that we were going to look at four questions in this series. The first question uh, we talked about last week is what do we do? We'll kind of review that in just a minute. But this week we're going to talk about how. How do we do it? We'll get to these two uh, questions uh, in the weeks ahead. But I want to start by showing you a quote that has haunted me. It's a quote that has formed and shaped my own thinking about my life with Jesus, but also my, my thinking about what it means to be a pastor and how to help people follow Jesus. This is from Marcus Borg in one of his books. He writes that you can believe all the right things and still be miserable. Now, you may need to think about that for a minute, but you can believe all the right things and still be miserable. And, and though that's something that you may need some time to chew on, here, here's what I bet is true. I bet that if you thought about it long enough, someone would come to mind. 
someone who you know well, and you might say of them, well, they believe all the right things, and yet there is something missing from their life. There's a vitality that you would assume that they have. There is a peace that you would assume that they would have that that maybe you would see as lacking. They believe all the right things, and yet they have not experienced perhaps the transformation that you would expect that they would have received. Now, the reason I share that with you is not so that tomorrow you can go to them and say, you know what, I was thinking about you yesterday during the sermon. That's not the point, okay? The point is not to invite you to this place of judgment, but rather to simply point out to you that the question of how really may be the most misunderstood component of the Christian faith. We're pretty clear on what we do, but how our lives actually transformed. How do you transition from a life of fear and anxiety and restlessness, a a life of self-absorbed thinking and short-term decision-making to a life that is instead defined by patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control? How do you you bridge that gap? How do you become that person that the Scriptures claim they promise that you can in fact one day be? How do you live into what Jesus says is the life that is a life to the full? That's the question we're going to look at today as we think about how do we do it. And what I want to share with you today is I'm going to share with you what we believe in terms of the question of how. We're going to talk about how we believe lives are changed. And the answer that I'm going to give you, I'm just going to tell you up front, your first response is going to be, oh, that's, that's way too simple. You're going to think to yourself, this is like an as seen on TV commercial, okay? You know, this is like that product that looks really good on TV, but then you get it home and it doesn't work, right? That, that's, that may be your first impression. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a couple questions that may help you think through some of the false assumptions, the barriers that we create for ourselves as it comes to this idea of change and transformation in our life. So I want to begin with this statement that if you're not brand new, I hope you recognize, okay? I hope you've seen this before. This is our mission statement, making disciples of Jesus Christ who will love God, love others, and serve the world. Everything that we do is built off of this, that we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, love others, and serve the world. You hear it over and over and over again here in the life of our church, and it drives every single thing that we do. Someone asked me uh, a couple weeks ago, hey, is this based on anything in the Bible? Which was a good question. So I'm going to show you a couple things in the Bible that this is based on. So Matthew chapter 28, where I asked you to turn just a moment ago. Let's look at that first. This is the last, we're going to look at the last three verses of, uh, of chapter 28. Also the last three verses of Matthew's gospel. And listen to how this story comes to an end. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the story culminates with Jesus saying, you must now go and do for others what I have done for you. 
I have called you to be my disciples. I invited you into a new way of living and I have taught you. I have shared life with you. And now I am sending you out to do for others the exact same thing that I have done for you. Train them, teach them, equip them, and don't forget that I'm always, always with you. And for generations, for thousands of years, this is what the church has done. This is how lives have been changed. One life to another, doing for someone else what someone else did for you. The pattern that is established here in Matthew chapter 28. So this is, this is what we do. We make disciples of Jesus Christ. This is another expression of what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about helping people who are sick who hope to get well. This is another way of saying this. This is what we do. We are about making disciples of Jesus Christ, inviting people into a relationship of following Jesus and learning to live in a whole new way, the way of Jesus, the way that he taught us to live and that we have been trained and taught because someone else gave us that gift. Turn to your left, to the left, a few pages to Matthew chapter 22. You'll get a sense of where the rest of this statement comes from. Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 is asked a question. He's asked a question by an adversary, someone who's trying to trip him up. And the question is, Jesus, of all the laws, what's the most important? Give me one. Give me the most important law. And Jesus says, I'd love to. Here they are. Number one, uh, verse 27 sorry, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the man asks for one, and Jesus gives him two. Give him, because Jesus, according to his teaching, you cannot do one without doing the other. I can't just give you one. I have to give you two, because these two things, you can't do one without doing the other. You can just write this one down. First John 4, 19. This is John saying the exact same thing, but he's going to say it in a little more blunt way. So if you're the kind of person where you appreciate pe people being blunt with you, uh, listen to first, uh, uh, first John 4, 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. Love doesn't originate with you or I. Any act of love is a participation in God. That's an incredible thought. Just thinking about that. Any act of love is a participation in God's love. Whoever claims to love God, he continues, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Again, John likes to be blunt here. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You cannot do one without doing the other. And so we get to the second half of the statement. We talk about loving God, loving others, and serving the world. These are three expressions of this first statement. What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, there's three expressions here. Well, a disciple is someone who loves God. A disciple is someone who loves others. A disciple is someone who serves the world. But here's what I want you to see in this one simple statement that defines everything that we do. There's a what. This is what we do. We make disciples of Jesus Christ. But there's also a how. How are lives changed? How's your heart transformed? How do you become the new creation that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians? You do it through loving God, loving others, and serving the world. That's it. That's the answer. 
That's how your life has changed. You love God, you love others, and you serve the world. That's our answer to how lives are changed. Now again, you may think to yourself, okay, well, I've been doing that for a while, and I still find some things lacking in my life. I still wrestle with anxiety. I still wrestle with fear. I still, I, I still have trouble forgiving in the way that I know that I should. I, th- there, there's something about the fullness of life that I am lacking. And so maybe your pushback is, that it just can't be that simple because I've been doing that. I've been trying that. I've been doing that over and over and over again. And, and there's, something, there's something that I'm still missing in my life. And so is it, is it really that simple? Love God, love others, and serve the world? Because that's, that's what I've been doing. And yet, and yet I feel like there must be something more. And if that's you, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? But if that's you, here's what I want you to hear today. You're in good company. Because I feel that too. I mean, I look at my life and I think to myself, I want to be a better dad than I am today. I want to be a better husband than I am today. I want to be more attentive to the needs of, of, my, of my children and the needs of my wife and, and the life that I'm living every single day. I want to be a better pastor than I am today. I want to I look at the world with a deeper sense of compassion and empathy than I do right now. I want there to be fewer moments in my life where I feel myself driven by fear rather than being driven by faith. I want to be a more courageous person. I want to be more brave. I want to stop being so worried about fill in the blank. Instead, I just want to worry about being faithful to where God would lead me and God would call me to go. What, if that's you today, what I want you to hear is me too. And probably everyone else who's here in the room with you. There is this sense in which there is this person we hope that we will one day be, and yet there is this recognition that we have that, well, we're not quite there yet. And so what I want to offer you today are three questions that have been personally valuable to me as I think about this process of transformation that is happening in my life. I hope they'll be valuable to you, and I hope that they will help you think through what may be some of the false assumptions you have about how change actually happens in your life. Here's the first question. First question is, am I consistent? Am I consistent? And and whenever I make this comment, I always get a pretty nervous laughter, so I expect that I'll get this again, but there really is some truth here, so I'm gonna mention it again. We have church every seven days for a reason. We really do. See, no uncomfortable laughter today. But, but the, yeah, there's a reason behind. It's not a coincidence. It's not like we get bored every seven days and want you to come see us, okay? That's not the reason that we have church every seven days. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, okay, and you read through the way that God created the world, one of the things that should be abundantly clear is that God created the world and He created it in such a way that the world is meant to follow a rhythm, you get a sense of the rhythm. It's a poem that you find in the first chapter of Genesis. And in this poem, you recognize that there's a rhythm to all of creation and everything that exists within creation. There is a day and there is night. There is a time for activity and there is a time for rest. 
There is vegetation that fills this new creation, but it's not like God just says tree, bush, stay there, grass. God creates a dynamic world that lives in relationship with one another. And so there is seeds that go into the ground and there's water that comes from the heavens and there is a sun that nurtures the plants and in time that plant begins to grow. There's a rhythm to this life that we are meant to live according to the beginning of the scriptures. Now I could make the argument that much of the frustration and worry and stress and let's just call it junk that is stirred up in our life is largely a result of our rebellion against the rhythm in which we are meant to live. It's why you fall asleep every day at three o'clock in the afternoon. Because there's a rhythm to this life that we are meant to live. And we often live in rebellion to that rhythm. And so one of the things that we believe is that on a weekly basis, we need to come together and to remember who we are. And to remember that among all the junk that we experience in life, there is something greater happening and we need our eyes to be opened to what God is doing in our life and in our world. We give you a resource each and every day, a resource called First 15 that's about giving your first 15 minutes of your day to God because we believe that when you give to God the first 15 minutes of your time and the first 15 minutes of your attention, when you live into that rhythm, it changes things. It changes the way you approach the day. It changes the way you approach your life. It changes the way you approach that person who said that thing to you yesterday that made you really mad that now you have to see again. It changes everything about your life when you live into this rhythm. When you choose convenience over consistency, it will poison any relationship in your life. When you choose convenience over consistency, it will poison any and all relationships in your life. It'll poison your marriage. It'll poison your relationship with your kids. It'll poison your relationship with your close friends. When convenience is consistently chosen over consistency, relationships suffer. And so the question that we should wrestle with is, am I consistent in this relationship with God? Or am I simply treating God as a convenience that I turn to when I need him rather than investing myself in the rhythm of life that God has invited me to, to live into? The second question, this, you're going to love this one. Second question is, am I being patient? I felt like we just needed a moment of silence there just to, just to practice for a moment. Am I being patient? Am I being patient with myself? Am I being, being patient with the fruit that God is growing in my life? Souls grow slowly. I'll say that one more time. Souls grow slowly. Which means that one of the things that we need in our life is the space to remind ourselves that I am not who I hope to be, but I am not who I used to be. We need to take time to turn our attention away from where we want to go for a moment to remember where we have been and how far we have come. 
We need people in our life who sometimes speak into our hearts and into our minds the truth that many of us need to hear. Hey, you're doing a lot better than you think you are. Give yourself the grace to recognize that something's happening over the course of time and that God is faithful to the work that He is doing in your life. One of the blessings of community is that the people that you share life with should be invested in encouraging and nurturing you and opening your eyes to see those things that many of us, we really do struggle to see, especially when it comes to our own life. And so are you being patient with yourself? Being patient with the fruit that is growing, the soul that is growing within you slowly? Here's the third question. Am I expecting too much from myself and too little from God? I'm expecting too much from myself and too little from God. If you go to any bookstore, there's a couple of sections you will always find. You're going to find a fiction section. You're going to find a nonfiction section. You're going to find a section on spirituality or religion. They may call it a different thing. Uh, there's a section for, for business leaders, how to run your business, how to be a great leader. And there's a section that is growing. I mean, it's like every day they add another shelf. It's, it's aisles and aisles and aisles. And it's a section called often the self-help section, Okay. And, and this is a section of books that are dedicated to helping you help you, all right? And, and, and here's what I want you to hear first, that there, there's really nothing wrong with that, okay? I, I believe and have an ambitious desire for your life, and I believe in learning, I believe in challenging yourself, I believe in setting goals and measuring those goals and doing all those things that, that these books would teach you to do, but, but here's something that we have to be very, very clear on. Jesus did not come to give you tips on how to better yourself. It wasn't, it wasn't, he didn't Stage a seminar, okay? I've got some strategies, all right? Write this down. Here's seven things that you can do. That's not what Jesus came for. Jesus came to heal your soul. Jesus came to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. The lie that is at the heart of human brokenness is that you can save yourself. And it's just not true. Go back to Genesis 3. Go back to the very beginning of this story. Our ancestors, the deception that they believe in the garden is this. You don't need God. You can do it yourself. And we as their offspring... By that lie, hook, line, and sinker over and over and over again. I haven't said this in any other service, but why does everybody get so anxious around election season? Because we want so desperately for someone to fix it. And we believe the lie that somewhere out there is a savior. Somewhere out there is a Messiah. Somewhere we're going to figure it out. Somewhere out there is someone who's going to take away the brokenness and the sin that exists. And it's a lie. We can't do that. You can't do that for yourself. We can't do that for one another. The world says you just need more willpower. Here's the truth. Your will is weak. You are so weak. 
You don't have the power to change your life. I can't even avoid Reese's peanut butter cups. What would lead me to think I could save myself? I mean, I am weak. And so are you. You know it. I don't know what the vice is, but you've got something right. There's something that you just, if, if they put it on a counter, you couldn't stop yourself. I have to eat that. We're weak. And the truth of the gospel is that in the midst of our weakness, someone has come with the power to do what we could not do for ourselves. This is not a book of tips and strategies to help you help yourself. This is a book about a Savior who has come to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. To come and heal you from the inside out, to release in you a power that is beyond your imagination, which brings us back to these three expressions of loving God, loving others, and serving the world. These are things that we do, right? These are practices that we invest in. These are disciplines that you live into. They're things that we do, but here's what you have to understand. It is not the practice that saves you. It is not the practice that transforms you. It isn't as if there's a scorecard and when you get to level nine on loving others, boom, here it is. That's not what happens. But rather, when you invest yourself in these things, when you invest yourself in loving God, when you invest yourselves in loving others, when you invest yourselves in serving the world, here's what you were doing. You were opening the door to your heart and you are letting loose a power that is beyond the scope of your imagination. When you come here to this place and we sing together and we worship together and we pray together and we read the scriptures together, none of that saves or transforms you. But here's what does. It's opening up your heart to the power that is present in this place when you make yourself available for the Spirit to do its work in your life, trusting that over time that Spirit will do what it promises to do. It changes you. When you open up the door of your heart and your life and you say, I'm going to be honest with this person. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to forgive as they forgive me. I'm going to love them even when they don't love me. It changes you. It lets loose a power inside of you that has the power to transform your life. When you step out of that zone of comfort that you love to, you love to be in, you do not want to leave. When you get on a plane and go to Rwanda or you get in your car and you go to downtown Fort Worth, that place you never drive, and you feed that home person. It's opening the door to your heart, and it is letting loose the spirit and a power that is beyond your imagination. It isn't the practice, but it's the power of the spirit that gets a hold of you. And friends, there's nothing more beautiful, there's nothing more amazing than when the spirit gets a hold of you. And you, because you continue to leave that door open, investing yourself in this new way of life, you begin to see things that you never thought were possible. You begin to change in ways that you never thought you would ever change. Things that you had grown to accept, that's never going to be better. Because the power of the spirits at work, not because of anything that you do or I do or anyone else does, but because of the power of God begins to take over your heart and take over your life and to lead you into a new 
way of living. That's what you can do. You can love God. You can love others. You can serve the world. You can say to yourself, worship is not about what else is going on in the calendar. Worship's what I do because I'm a follower of Jesus. This, this idea of being connected to a group, but living in relationships, it's not just a convenient thing that I say, oh, well, I guess I'll make time for that. It's something I do because I'm a follower of Jesus. It's when you live your life each and every day and opportunities arise that are inconvenient for you to serve others and you say, I'm going to do that because that's what a follower of Jesus does. And the door is opened again to the power of the Spirit. It gets let loose in your life and it does things that are beyond your imagination. That's what you can do. What can the church do? What does the church do? The church provides opportunities. The church facilitates relationships. The church creates resources that enable individuals to experience God and to connect them to the only power that can truly change lives. That's what we do. That's why we're here. Not to hear a preacher preach or to hear some people sing, or just to listen to prayers, but to experience God. Because God has come to do for you what you could not do for yourself. God has come to do for you what is beyond the, scape, the, the scope of your abilities to, to lead you into a life that is full and beyond your imagination. And friends, He's doing it day by day week by week and year by year as you approach Him with consistency and patience and a dependence on His strength and power. So here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with these questions, and I want you in grace with yourself. I want you to wrestle with this a little bit. Don't be too judgmental. Don't, don't go beat yourself up. Oh my gosh, I missed. No, 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 no. Simply allow the Spirit to guide you, to, to lead you into thinking about, well, where, where do I need to be more consistent in my life? Where am I living in rebellion to the rhythm that God would invite me to live into? Where am I being overly critical and impatient with my own growth? Where am I maybe, I'm, I'm depending too much on myself and I just need to, I just need to rest in the reality that God is faithful and He is working in my life. If you're really brave, ask someone else to answer the question for you. If you're super brave, ask your spouse. They'll have an answer immediately. It's amazing. But wrestle with us a little bit. As we remember what we do together, we're about changing lives. Lives in Guatemala, lives in India, lives in Rwanda, and lives right here in the life that we share together as this family of faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this sacred work and we thank you, Lord, for the honor that we have to participate in this work. We, we thank you, God, for what you have done in us, especially, Lord, those things that maybe we struggle to see and to celebrate. Lord, for some of us, there is a courage that wasn't there before. There is a patience that wasn't there before. There is a compassion that wasn't there before. You have begun the process of changing the way we see and changing how we hear and, and, and changing how we think. 
You have entered into our hearts by your power. You have begun the process of purifying our minds. And maybe, Lord, we just haven't taken the time to stop and to see that and to say thank you. Maybe we haven't, Lord, taken the time to think about the road less traveled, to think about where we might be were it not for you. You have changed us. And you are changing us. And yes, there is more work to do. So give us, Lord, an increased commitment to that work, the work that you are doing in us, the work that you are doing through us, the work, the work of your church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before you go, I want to tell you one thing. Um, as you heard, I'm, I'm leaving on Wednesday to go to Guatemala. Uh, we'll be there through the following Monday, so I will not be with you uh, next weekend. But next weekend is Communion Sunday, and some of you had the chance to come to the Coffee with the Pastors event, and you asked me a question. It was a great question. I had a chance to share it with just a few of you, but I wanted to share it with all of you here at 930, uh, because next week you're going to come and you're going to receive communion here uh, in, in this space. We do that every first weekend of the month. And if you've been here the last couple of weekends uh, or the last couple of first weekends of the month, we've done communion a little bit differently in here. And we did that because I wanted to do it, okay? So blame me, all right? Here was why we did it that way. Uh, we practiced uh, communion the last couple of months by intention, which is another way of doing communion. We often do it that way on Saturday night. And one of the things that I love about Saturday night, which is a smaller crowd, is that when we receive communion by intention, people come to the rails to pray, and people have all the time in the world to come and pray at these rails. And I just love that. I love seeing people coming and simply spending time with God before they go out uh, into, their, uh, into the rest of uh, their Saturday evening. And so that was my hope. I really hope that here at 9.30 we could create that same environment. But, but here's the deal. There's too many of you. And so while we can still serve communion that way, the goal that we had really hoped to accomplish, well, it didn't work. And so we learned from that. And so next month, you're going to receive communion uh, the way in which you're more accustomed uh, to receiving that. And, and I want you to know that we're not changing that just because, well, a couple of people got mad at David and they just blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. We're doing that because communion is a, is a, is a special and holy thing. It's a way in which we meet God. It's a it's a means of grace, a way in which grace is received in our life, and, and I want that to be a special and holy moment for you, and so uh, I just wanted you to know that, that, that that's coming up next week, and since I wasn't going to be here, I didn't want you to think, oh, they changed it back because David's out of the country. <laughs> Who's going to tell him? <laughs> our life, our life, our life, our life is about helping you follow Jesus. And so as you go from this place, I pray, I pray for you that you will go with a sense of his grace and his love and his mercy and that those gifts that he has given you would change the way that you interact with a world that is broken and hurting and in need. Go as people who are willing to be the ones to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Go in Jesus' name. Amen.